When I was 20 years old, I decided to go church hopping. I had been at the same exact church since I was three. I needed to see what the church world had to offer me. I need to go church hopping. I need to go church shopping. So I started to go from church to church to church to find something, find different denominations. I went out all sorts of places. I found myself always, too, on the back pew. I love to be on the back pew to this day. I understand you back pew people. You're my people. I love being in the back pew. I probably was at my sixth or seventh church at this point. I had been there a few weeks consecutively, and as the closing song was going, I began to pack up my things like I normally do. And sure enough, I saw this woman start to look at me. And as soon as we were dismissed, the benediction, I saw her start to come straight at me. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. I knew what she was going to do. She was going to tell me about some college-age Sunday school class I needed to go to. Or she was going to tell me about something that she needed me to do at the church. Because I don't know if you can notice or not, but I look like a church person. (laughs) I can't help it. I just look churchy. And so people in church asked me to do things. I knew it was coming. And sure enough, she came over to me and she said, hi. My name is, I know that you've been here a few weeks. I've been trying to get here before you scooted out, so I left my seat a little early today. She said, I don't know, but would you like to join our church softball team? The first practice game is tonight. (laughs) That is the very last thing I ever thought she was going to ask me. She took out a piece of paper and she wrote, here's who's going to be here, the name of the church. Here's what to bring. Here's what to wear. Here's where we're going to be. I show up at the field that afternoon. I get there and the coach comes over and the coach is like, oh, we are so glad you are here. What position do you play? I look at him and I go, what positions do you have? (laughs) He's like, oh, I got the perfect place for you. And he walks me over to right field. First ball comes right at right field. It's right headed to me, so I duck so I don't get hit. Coach comes over and he's like, oh, I got the perfect place for you. It's first base. This is going to be better. It's going to be better. Perfect place for you. All of a sudden, The batter hits, the ball comes right to me. Again, I duck. The batter comes, hits first place, stands up, and I congratulate him. Good job. That was awesome. Coach comes over. Oh, I got the perfect place for you. And he walks me over and he's like, you're going to be our catcher. All you got to do is throw the balls back. Just throw them back. Okay, get ready. Well, guess what? That didn't go so well. All of a sudden, the coach starts to come back to me again. And I knew at this point I'd caught on three strikes and you're out. So I'm thinking, okay, I go to tell the coach, don't worry, I will leave quietly. But instead, he says, oh, Marion, we have the perfect place for you. And the whole time, he's kind of walking and talking me out toward the fence. He's like, oh, it's just the perfect place, perfect place for you. And he opens up the gate and he says, You just became our number one cheerleader. (laughs) 
Do you know, I cheered the entire game. In fact, I never missed one of their games. I was their number one and only cheerleader that softball season. No one from my home church would have ever asked me to be on the softball team. They knew better. <laughs> never at my home church would I have ever even been out there on the field. Sometimes you have to leave home to see differently and to be seen differently. Scripture points to this truth. Scripture says this, Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. He began to teach, and the many who were astounded, they said, where did this man get all of this wisdom? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Jesus was home, and he left home so he could become teaching and preaching and healing in the villages. And as he did, crowds began to follow him, and he began to go to village and village, healing and teaching and preaching. And so what did he do? He came back home and did the same. And his hometown, his community said, no, who do you think you are coming back here? We know who you are. You're the son of Mary. At this particular point in scripture, Joseph, Jesus' father, had died. And so in their own way, this hometown community was giving him a cultural insult by saying, you are home now, and we know you have no father. You're only the son of Mary. You're only our carpenter. And yes, carpenters have a very important place in the village, but their place is in the shop, not in the synagogue. So who are you to come home and pretend to be wise and knowledgeable? You are the carpenter. You do not belong in the synagogue. His hometown would only put him in one place on the field. The scripture goes on to say this. He could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So Jesus, anyway, kept teaching and kept preaching and kept healing, and he helped people. And still, his hometown community said, oh, isn't that cute? We don't believe you. No. You can't do that. This actually is a theological word or a theological term, and it's called, I love it, the scandal of particularity. The scandal of particularity. And it's a little complicated, but for our purposes, what the scandal of particularity means is that you know someone so well that you downgrade their abilities. You are so familiar with someone, you're so comfortable with someone, you know someone so well that you downgrade their ability to serve and to have gifts. 
And always God scandalizes the community by picking that particular person. <laughs> you know, that guy. For me and my youth group, it was always Brad. I don't know who it is for you. You have somebody. You can think of them. Don't say their name out loud. It may have been you. But do you know that guy or that girl that just always got in trouble? No matter what happened, it was always Brad's fault in my youth group. If somebody snuck out on the lock-in, it was Brad. If something was broken at the church, it was Brad. If something happened with one of our Sunday school teachers and a practical joke went too far, it was Brad. It was always Brad. And sometimes the trouble that he found, it was self-inflicted, but other times he just happened to be around in the wrong place, and it was just his fault somehow. We all blamed it on Brad. You know who I'm talking about. Well, one summer, it was one July, our United Methodist Church got a new associate pastor, because I don't know if you know this, but sometimes pastors just are moved to different places. So we were just given this new associate pastor. About three days into his week, first week at our church, the senior pastor walked into the new associate and said, Hey, the guy before you planned a mission trip. And it's the first mission trip our youth are going to get to go on in 12 years. So you got to go and take them. Slipped him a piece of paper and said, Here's who's going. Here's what to pack. Here's what to wear. And here's where to stay. You leave in three days. Three days later, the associate pastor met all of us youth for the very first time in the church parking lot. First time we'd ever met. He loaded us all up in the van. And he took us to the exact spot. We had everybody that was supposed to be there. We were right Packed and ready, everything we needed was there. And we were in the right spot at the right time and everything. Everything to the T on that paperwork. And somehow the receiving program just wasn't quite ready for us. They weren't there. <laughs> so our associate pastor just began to lead us. He began to be our leader and he began to tell us what to do. And he says, hey, you two, what's your name again? Okay, great. You two, go set up the tents. You too. Okay, remind me of your names. Okay, that's right. You too. Go do the arts and crafts supplies for the week. You too. Go over there. You too. Do this. You too. Do that. And as he's delegating to get our campsite ready for the mission week, all of a sudden we all hear this beep, beep, beep. There's a huge Cisco food truck backing into our campsite. And there's no one left to delegate the food to except for one person. Our brand new associate pastor goes, hey, Brad, you're in charge of the food. And all the adult counselors, could, you could see them sing this in slow-mo. And they were like, no, not Brad. All of a sudden, Brad gets this huge smile on his face. He hops on the back of the truck, throws the doors open, goes in the back of the truck, and he disappears, and nothing happens, and we all get really nervous. A few minutes later, boxes started flying out of the back of the truck. Turns out, Brad, alongside the food truck driver, 
came up with a meal plan. Brad thought through what we were going to need to eat for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, and even built in a snack. And then he decided how much he was going to need based on how many people were there. And so he began to throw out the portions of the food that he needed out of the truck. Brad became our head cook that week. And when we got home and told the story, everyone was in disbelief. It was a scandal. And what followed, Brad and his father began a different kind of relationship. Brad and his dad started to cook together. Every church potluck, every social meal, just random weekly meals, Brad and his father began to cook. Just the two of them. Brad died about 10 years ago. And that core group of us on that mission trip, we were the core group that had spent 18 years together going every single week to Sunday school. And that core group of us, when we started to talk about Brad, over all the memories that we had of 18 years, every week together, the most vivid memory that any of us had was of Brad with a red bandana around his head over an open stove cooking breakfast. Sometimes you have to leave home to see differently and to be seen differently. Mission trips can change a person. Scripture goes on to say this. He went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two. And he ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, and to wear sandals, not two tunics, and to enter a house to stay until you leave the place. So Jesus said to the people in front of him, leave my home. This is who to go with. This is what to pack, what to wear, and where to stay. Sounds like a mission trip to me. Jesus has been calling us on mission trips from the very beginning. This church is taking mission trips this summer. We're going to Texas. We're going to Honduras. We're going to Peru. We're going to Ecuador. We're going to Kenya. And yes, on those teams, we actually need a doctor to go to Peru. If you're a doctor and you want to join us, let me know. But we also need people who aren't doctors. We also need people without any experience or with no skills whatsoever. We need you too. We also are taking a mission trip every single month. We go to Panama City every month on a ministry that we call Dare to Care. It's the disaster assistance and relief effort of our church. We go every month to Panama City, Florida to help people who are still recovering from Hurricane Michael. 
We went for six consecutive months in 2019, and we've committed to be there every single month in the year 2020, and we are going to do that. This is a very easy trip to take. It's usually about the third weekend of the month. You're going to leave on a Thursday, and you're going to come back on a Sunday. So if you're nervous about a long trip or an international trip, this is a great one for you to start on. It's very easy. All you need to do, whether you are on the front pew or the back pew, all you have to do is show up on the field. And it just might surprise you what position you'll play. In one of the first mission trips that we took to Panama City, there was a man and his friend that went. And they went to Panama City on this Dare to Care trip because they thought they had carpenter experience. They said, we know construction. We know what we're going to do. So we're going to go and share our skills on this trip. They get to the trip, and they immediately begin to work on taking out bad insulation and mold that was on wood. They start to take out all these molded beams and things. And the homeowner kept asking them if they were thirsty. Do you need a cup of coffee? Do you need a cup of hot chocolate? And these men kept saying, no, we came here to work. We did not come here to take a break. And so they kept working, and they kept working, and this woman kept asking them, well, don't you want are you, are you thirsty? Do you want to take a break? No. They kept saying no. It took them a good two days of saying no before they finally said, okay, she's going to ask us until we say yes. So finally they said, yes, we do. They sat around the cup of the table, had a cup of coffee and a cup of hot chocolate. And as soon as these two construction experienced skilled men sat down at the table with a cup of coffee, they realized that yes, God wanted them to work on a house, but God also sent them in the position around a table to visit with Miss Rebecca. You might just be surprised at your position on a mission trip. Serving side by side, this is our mission emphasis for the month of February. We're taking the time of February so that we can teach and educate about all the different things that we do in the missions and service department here on campus. And today I want you to think about mission trips. Next week you're going to hear about missionaries and missionaries that we support, like the Walpoles. In fact, we're going to learn more about Free Burma Rangers I want you to attend our movie night. We're going to go to the movie tavern and watch a movie about free Burma Rangers. This ticket is free to you if you sign up through our website. If you take all 85 tickets we've already bought, then we will buy more because we want you to learn that story. And it's going to be important because on March 1st, if you come back, the daughters of the free Burma Rangers, they will be here on campus telling their incredible story. So we're going to let you know about our mission trips, our missionaries we support, and we're also going to let you know about local ministries that you can volunteer for. Right today, right now, begins our host week of Family Promise. After this week, there'll be three more. We have a Street Grace team that's headed out in about two Saturdays on the 22nd. We know that we are always collecting food for North Fulton Community Charities. There are ways for you to be involved, and we are going to take this month of February and let you know about them. 
because right now, on Mar- I want you to be thinking and praying for that because on March 1st, we're going to come together and we're going to have our Commitment Sunday where we do ask you to make a commitment for a life on mission so that together we can be a place of community and faith for this entire world, our own local community to across the globe. And so wherever your home may be, may you take this month to be intentional, to listen, to pray, and to discern maybe even China. Take this month at home, and I want you to hear God calling you. Because it might just be, if you listen carefully, you'll hear God saying, This is who to go with. This is what to pack. This is what to wear. And this is where to stay. Because I promise, God has the perfect place for you. Amen.